Acts chapter 3. What were you expecting? You ever heard those words? What were you expecting? Right? You go to McDonald's, right? I want your cheapest hamburger you got. What were you expecting? Right? Yeah. My, uh, when I was in my college days, I had a friend from Condon, Oregon, uh, that went to college with me back in Virginia. And one year we decided that we were going to drive home on the back roads. We had a credit card and 150 bucks. Now, this, is, this was back in the 70s, so. But we decided we were going to take all the back roads. We were going to stop anywhere we wanted until the money ran out. And then we're gonna, we were going to drive straight home from there because we had, we, that was normally what we did is we got in the car and 50 hours later we were home. And, uh, but we said, we're just going to stop anywhere we wanted. And not, not on any interstate. So we left Virginia. We went up through West Virginia. We got up and we kept seeing these big billboards. Mammoth Cavern. You got to stop. Big, and I, I forget what state we were. I think we were up in Nebraska or some Mammoth Cavern. And I'm kept, I'm, I've been to Carlsbad Cavern. That's a big cave. But we kept seeing these big billboards, and Greg would say, brother, we got to stop. Do you see those billboards? You know, the biggest this, the what. And so I'm like going, I've never heard of it. Are you sure this is where we want to spend 15 bucks? Right? So we stopped. A half hour later, we were out the other end of the cavern. And, And I'm like, well, what'd you expect? Right? We, sometimes when we ask that question, it's because we've been disappointed. Because we, we had an expectation that wasn't met. You know, I, I'm wondering, when you came to church today, did you have an expectation? Did you have an expectation? Oh, I'm going to get to church and I'm going to get to, or God will... Well, if you didn't have any expectations, I got news for you. They're probably going to be met. If you don't have any expectations, quite often you're you're not going to be disappointed because I didn't expect anything. But if you came to church saying, okay, God, I'm expecting you to show up because you promised us in your word you would. I'm expecting to have an influence on others because there's going to be people at church this morning that that need to be encouraged. And and so I'm going to have the opportunity to influence others. Or maybe you had the expectation of, man, I've been beat down. I'm hurting. I have the expectation that my brothers or sisters in Christ are going to wrap their arms around me and say, hey, I'm here for you. And I hope if that's the case, you do not leave disappointed. 
because that's part of what we do as a church. So what are our expectations? And we are going to be looking as we look at John chapter, or in Acts chapter 3 about expectations, what was going on. Now let me explain to you what's, we, last week we got a, a little synopsis of what, does, what is the church doing in the book of Acts? Five verses, and it told us all kinds of things. What, what Luke is going to do in the next three chapters is he's going to give us little vignettes of what the church was doing. Now let, let me review a couple things in chapter 2. Uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We're going to see part of that in chapter 3. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. We're going to see that in chapter 3. And we're going to see how, how, as Luke records this miracle, he's expounding on what they were expecting. So let's turn to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 10 verses, and we're going to talk about expectations. Acts chapter 3, 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order that to beg alms to those who are entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him, and he said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And he seized him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the gate, at the beautiful gate of the temple, to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Expectations. Well, we have two, two apostles, John and Peter. Now, I find that kind of interesting because who do you normally see with Peter? His brother, Andrew. And who do you normally see with John? James. But for whatever reason today, these two are put together. And they're kind of an interesting pair. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. John was the one who always had his ear tuned to Jesus. 
Peter was the impetuous one. He was the one who walked around with his foot in his mouth. But these two are together, and what are they doing? They are going to pray. Now, I want you to understand that they were doing what they normally did. You see, just because they had come to know Jesus Christ and had been filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just because they had all these things, that didn't mean they stopped being Jews. They still worshiped at the temple. Now they didn't. The sacrifice, the afternoon sacrifice, was done at 2.30. But at 3 o'clock was the hour of prayer because they believed as they pray, it would go up with the smoke of the sacrifice. They didn't go to the sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus Christ had been their sacrifice. They didn't need the animal sacrifice anymore, but they needed prayer, and that's what they normally did. That's what chapter 2 told us, didn't it? They devoted themselves to prayer. And the other reason they were going to the temple was it was the one place that had room enough for them to preach to thousands. And so they would go up and they would pray. There would have been probably a, quite a large group going up with them, believers, saying, okay, we're going to go with Peter and John up to the temple. They normally did. This was their what they did day by day, chapter 2 tells us, continuing with one mind in the temple. They did what they normally were doing. Now, as Jewish believers, they were a little bit unprepared. Because remember in chapter 2 it told us they had all things in common and they were, when people had a need, well these were two broke preachers. Because normally... And when you go to the temple, you can even, if you go to Israel today and you go to the temple, you will see people begging alms outside, well, the temple's not there, but places at the temple wall, you will see people still begging alms because it was a Jewish custom. That when you were going to the temple, when people were begging there, it was part of your duty to take care of the Jewish nation so you would bring alms to give out. They didn't have any. They were just two broke preachers headed up to pray. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? They were going, what, doing what they normally did. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus were, were, was giving the Pharisees a bad time because they had this habit of going and they would take, they would take their, their money with them and, and they would drop it in the cup to make a loud noise so people knew that they were giving alms. In Matthew 6, 2, it says, And so when, not if, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, so that you may be honored of men. Truly, I say to you, they have their full reward. It was an expectation, but they said, we don't have any money. And so they were going along, doing what they did every day, going to the temple to pray. And all of a sudden, a lame man shows up. Now that lame man had no expectations of a miracle. It says in, in chapter 4, it tells us he was 40 years old. 
He had been lame from birth. Never had walked. It's one of the things that makes this miracle so much greater. Because he had never taken a step. His legs were shriveled up. And if you have ever seen somebody that's born with a congenital disease in their legs, you'll find that their, their, their legs turn in. There's flexion in their joints. When we were down at Casa de Fe, every day a lady would come in to do physical therapy on some of the children that have that are unable to walk and they put braces on them to straighten the ligaments out and the little babies would cry because it hurts. But they don't want their legs to get all flexed where they, where they can't straighten them at all. And all you could do was sit there and stroke them and let them know that they're loved. And this man for 40 years had come every day. Now 40 years old, that's pretty old. In those days, that was the life expectancy of a normal person. So his mom and dad are probably gone. It's, it's through his, his friends, through people that he knew that would carry him everywhere he needed to go. Any place he wanted to go, he had to be carried. And so they would carry him every day to the gate beautiful and let him beg for alms. He had no expectation of a miracle. He sat down. He probably had just gotten there because it says when he saw Peter and John going along, he cried out for alms. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And in that comes what? Shame, because he had to beg for his, his own well-being. And as he sat there begging alms from Peter and John, he wouldn't even look at them. You ever notice that? You want, you want to know a good way to find out if somebody on the side of the road is really in need? See if they look at you. And it's, this, this is a cop thing. I'm sorry, this is not a preacher thing. But I worked, I worked with, with a homeless population for many years as a cop. And one of the things I, I noticed is that, is that folks who go alongside the road with their sign and they'll look in your window trying to get you to make eye contact because they know if they can make eye contact, you're going to feel guilty and give. But you know who I give to? I give to the ones that won't look me in the eye. I shared, I think, I don't know whether it was in this service or the next, last, last week we, we were at Fred Meyer's and I saw a lady standing there, older lady, well-dressed, standing there and uh, I'm like, wow, that's unusual to see somebody, you know, her age uh, having to ask for money. And somebody stopped and handed her a banana. And I watched as she wept. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop and help her out. Because, and when I stopped, I got out of my car. And I walked over and I says, I think you need a hug. And she stood there with tears running down her face. And she says, you have no idea. 
So I hugged her, I prayed with her, I put some money in her pocket. The lame man couldn't even look at James or at, at Peter and John. Peter stops, John stops. And notice in verse 4, it says, They fixed their gaze on him and said, Look at us! Look in my eyes. And of course, this guy goes, Okay, I'm going to get some alms. And he puts out his cup, and the next verse says, And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Expecting to receive what? Alms. A little bit of money in my cup. But Peter and John had a different idea. Because, see, they they may not have had money in their pocket, but they had a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the, the mint that makes the gold, right? They didn't, he didn't expect anything. And he looked, he looked at them, he locked eyes with them, and Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. You see, when Jesus shows up, he does the unexpected. There's no way this guy was expecting to have a miracle. You see, he had sat by the goal that the gate beautiful. How long? 40 years. Jesus walked through the beautiful gate many, many times in his years of ministry. And every time Jesus walked by, this man never thought once about saying, Messiah, Messiah, heal me. Because Jesus is in that kind of business. Jesus is the kind of business where he changes things. Now, this is kind of interesting because Luke mentions this from a doctor's perspective. And I want you to, to notice that what he says to He seized him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. Those are all medically technical terms. That, that Luke puts in there. No, they're used nowhere else in the Bible. He said, God made it absolutely right. We, we remember the little song we learned? The foot bone's connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone's connected to the shin bone. The shin bone's connected to the knee bone. Right? That was exactly what was happening. God was take, taking that leg because it was all shriveled up. It had to be pulled back into place. It had to be reset. And that's what God did. And, and it says, now this is somebody who never learned to walk. You ever, you ever seen somebody that had to learn how to walk again? 
it takes months of practice between the parallel bars. It takes months to strengthen and that muscle memory to say, okay, foot, step out, go down. His was immediate. His was exactly when he raised him up, God put it all into order. He wasn't expecting a miracle, but he got one. Sometimes when we least when we least expected, you're elected. You're the star today. Surprise. You guys don't remember that? You're on candid camera? Oh goodness sakes, you guys are you guys are old enough to remember that. Sometimes when we least expect it, God shows up to us. And he says, You need a miracle, and I'm gonna give it to you. The lame man didn't ask for it. God just gave it. Now let's look at, the, look at the rest of the chapter and see what everybody else was expecting. Uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them and all the at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. And when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power and our piety that we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murder to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact that we are witnesses of. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith that, which comes through him was, has given him the perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorant, ignorance, just as your rulers also did. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshings may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient times. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successor onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying, Abraham... In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, 
God raised up his servant, sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Acts chapter 4 tells us that on this day when Peter preached, 5,000 got saved. Peter is talking to thousands of people. If 5,000 got saved, how many more were standing around? And what was their expectation? The expectation of the people who gathered around, what was their expectation? Their expectation was that Peter and John would do more miracles. Hey, I'm over here. I need this. I'm over here. I need this. And we, don't, we know that they got arrested. We'll see in chapter 4. They didn't have an opportunity to do more miracles. But if they did, what would they have done? They would have healed whoever came. In the name, because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? That's what Jesus did. There were all of these people who were wanting to go to be healed. They wanted Peter, John, Peter, and John to do it, but Peter and John says, "Wait a second, <laughs> it's not us." And he immediately turns them back to the Old Testament. He says. Peter said, men of Israel, why are you amazed? And then in verse 13 he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He looks back and he says, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten how you got out of Egypt when God took the Israelites to the Red Sea and then parted the waters? Have you forgotten how when you were in the desert, God provided manna? And if that wasn't good enough, when you wanted meat, he provided quail? You've forgotten how God blessed you when you entered into the land and you were able to conquer all of these people and you're in the land that he gave you. And he, he says, and, he, and what about Jesus? Jesus, everywhere he went, performed miracles, and yet, what did you do? And then he goes on to tell them, you're, you're the reason Jesus ended up at the cross. He says, even Pilate, a Roman, wanted to set him free. And yet you cried, give us Barabbas. <coughs> Give us the murderer. And he said, you're guilty. He says, and Jesus died at your hand, but he didn't stay there. He was resurrected. And we are all witnesses of what? That fact. I imagine Peter probably pointed over to the tomb, said, go over to the graveyard. Go to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and see who's in there. Jesus was laid in there, but he's not there any longer. 
he's gone. A fact that they could not dispute. And while they wanted miracles, they were going to get something far greater than that. They were going to get eternal life. Now I want you to see something interesting about this this, uh, lame man. He wasn't expecting a miracle, but he got one. Sometimes we have faith, and sometimes others have faith for us. I want you to, to notice what it says in verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, if is the name of, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him was given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. It wasn't the lame man's faith that healed him. He was expecting what? Alms. It was the faith that Peter and John had in Jesus that healed him. Sometimes we don't have the faith to get what we need from Jesus, but somebody else does. You remember the lady who had the issue of blood and it said the crowds were all around Jesus and she said, if I can just get to the hem of the garment, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And she slipped up and she slipped her hand through the crowd and touched the cloak of Jesus, grabbed the hem of the garment And she was healed immediately. And Jesus said, wait, somebody touched me. And they all go, Jesus, we're in a crowd here. Everybody's touching you. He says, no, I felt it. And she was healed because she had the faith that if she could just touch the hem of the garment, she would be healed. And God healed her that very moment. And then there was blind Bartimaeus sitting by the road and saying, Jesus, I'm over here. Jesus, I'm... And everybody said, shut up. Don't bother the master. And Bartimaeus cried louder, Messiah! And Jesus came over and says, what do you want? He says, I want to see again. And Jesus said, your faith has made you heal. Sometimes that's the kind of faith that God uses. But there are other times when somebody else's faith is important. Jairus' daughter was laying home sick. And Jairus went to Jesus and said, Master, if you can come, you can heal her. And in route, she died. And Jesus said, I still have a miracle to do here. And he raised her from the dead. It wasn't her faith that healed her. It was her father's faith. And then there's another story where four men in Luke chapter 5, four men brought a paralytic to Jesus. And he was in a house. And they couldn't get in the door Nobody wanted to let the lame man, wanted to let the paralytic in the door because he took up too much room. We could get six more people where he could be. 
They deserve it more than he does. And so those four men climbed up on the roof and they began to take the roof apart and they lowered him down. And you know what Jesus said when he healed him? He said, because of their faith, you are healed. Those four men had the faith that if they could just get to Jesus, he would be healed. And he was. Sometimes we have to be the one that has the faith to drag people to Jesus and say, look, here he is. Peter reached out his hand and grabbed a hold of him and said, hold on, buddy. We got some dancing to do. And he pulled him up to his feet and Jesus in that moment strengthened his legs. It was the faith that Peter had. But once he felt that faith, what happened? He couldn't let go of them. He was dancing and singing, praising God. And where did Peter develop that kind of faith? The faith that could reach down and grab a man and say, God's going to heal you? I'll tell you where he did. It was in the Sea of Galilee. It was in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus came and was walking along on the stormy sea and everybody else thought it was a ghost. And Peter looked out at Jesus. We're going to get this to change here in a minute. There we go. And Peter looked out and said to him, Lord, if you command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. And what happened on his way? He lost a little bit of faith, didn't he? He got his eyes on the wrong thing. And what happened? Jesus reached down and he took him by the hand and he said, you have more walking to do, brother. And he pulled him up onto the top of the sea and the two of them walked back to the boat on top of the water. That's where Peter got the faith to say, God's going to heal you. Jesus has a plan for you. And Peter gave all the credit to Jesus. Every bit of the credit. He said, it wasn't me. Nothing I have done. Nothing John has done. It was Jesus. And when we begin to do that in our lives, it, it, then God will say, okay, I know that I can use this person because they're going to give me the glory. And Peter goes on to preach. And I love what he says. He, he continues to point them to the Savior. And in verse 19 it says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. So your sins may be wiped away. That is Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes away your transgressions for your own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to send some times of refreshing. I think that's what's happening at Asbury College right now. God says, I'm going to send some times of revival, some times of refreshing in your life. I was... Uh, listening to the men yesterday at one of the men's 
presentations or Bible studies, and I had come in just to drop some stuff off, and uh, and they were talking about what it was like when they first got saved. And you know, they said part of it was was pain, because God was convicting me of all the things I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Isn't that like Him? He says, I'm going to make you a new creation. But part of making you a new creation is I've got to destroy the old man. I've got, got to get rid of all the old habits. I've got to make something new out of you. And that's what God does when he wipes away our sins. He gives us eternal life. But he also says, I want to heal you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, we, we, get, we get in sin and we don't know what God's doing, and, and we say, oh, this is so hard and God says no it's not you're just carrying the wrong yoke if we try to carry the yoke of the world live right by ourselves do right in our own power we can never do it but Jesus says no take my my yoke on you you know guilt and unforgiveness is a heavy load to bear. But yet we carry it with us all the time and God says, get rid of that yoke. Come, come with me. Well, he finishes this chapter with letting the Jewish people know that he's not finished with them. The rest of the chapter is God telling the Jewish people, I'm not done. He, he says, from heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. He said, there's going to come a time of restoration for Israel. Now, that's still future. That has not happened yet. And God says, it's coming. And it will happen. It will happen during the tribulation period and it will happen during the thousand year reign of Christ when Israel will finally be restored. But until then, what is God doing? It's for us. It's for the church. He's building his church. He's, he's, he's using all of us to do his work of the kingdom. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that in us until the day he says, all right, the trumpet's going to sound. You're going to hear your name called, and we're going to go up. Boy, I, I, you know, I, amen, hallelujah. I'm looking for that day. I mean, every day I wake up and I say, okay, God, if you come back today, hallelujah. And if you don't, I've got work to do because there's other people that need to come into the kingdom. There's other people that need to know you as their Savior. And John and 
Peter, John and Peter, they, their day's going to end not like they thought. They never made it to, to prayer time. They made it to prison time. They got, they got arrested that day. They got thrown in the pokey. We're going to see that next week. Yeah, you never heard that term, thrown in the pokey? He got thrown in jail, but that didn't mean God was done working because 5,000 people got saved that day. The church just more than doubled in size, almost tripled in size in one message. God says, I'm going to do the unexpected. I'm going to do the unexpected. I don't know what you need in your life today but I think you just need to look to God and say, okay, I want the unexpected, Lord. I'm tired of begging at the beautiful gate. I want to walk again. Because it's pretty easy to sit at the beautiful gate and beg and subside on, on the alms. But God says, no, I want you to walk and leap and praise me. I don't know what God has for you, but he wants the best. He wants the unexpected. We're going to come now to communion time. And as we come to communion, I want you to think about the unexpected. The night that Jesus was betrayed. What were the apostles expecting that night? We're going to celebrate the Passover. We're going to celebrate that day many years ago when, when the death angel passed over Israel. What a celebration that is. The Passover. They were excited. You only get to celebrate the Passover once a year. And then Jesus took the bread. And unlike other times when he would say, the ritual of the Passover. He broke the bread. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. The unexpected blessing of God. They had no idea what he was talking about. What is this? What's he talking about? My body which is broken for you. And Jesus was looking forward. He knew what was coming. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. What? The forgiveness of sin in your blood? I don't understand. 
Jesus did. He said, come on, guys, come walk with me. Let's go over to the Garden of Gethsemane where we normally go to spend the night. And as they walked along, he walked to the Garden of Gethsemane and he took Peter and James and John and he took them off to the side. He said, you guys pray with me for a little while. And he went out and he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. And then he went on to the cross. The unexpected became his gift to us. He said, on this cross, I will bear the sins of all the world. And all you have to do is come and receive it. The unexpected gift of Jesus.